Welcome to the Florida Bar Podcast, where we highlight the latest trends in law office and legal practice management to help you run your firm. Brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to the Florida Bar Podcast, recorded from the Florida Bar headquarters in Tallahassee, Florida. This is Jonathan Israel, and I'm the host for today's show. Joining me today, I have Michael Tanner, who will be the moderator of today's episode. Before we get started, I'd like to ask Michael to tell us a little bit about himself and today's topic. Uh, Well, thank you, Jonathan. I'm Mike Tanner. I'm a member of the Board of Governors of the Florida Bar, and our topic today is lawyer professionalism in the state of Florida. Great. Thank you. And I understand we have a few guests joining our panel today, if you'd like to go ahead and introduce them as well. We do. Thank you. A very distinguished group of panelists. And um, I'm going to apologize to them in advance here. I'm not going to go through all of their credentials and achievements. That would take much too much time. But uh, I'm going to take these in alphabetical order as well. Uh, First, we have with us Eshleya Edwards, who is a member of the Board of Governors of the Young Lawyers Division of the Florida Bar. And um, uh, the Young Lawyers Division uh, does many things to advance our profession, but uh, one of the things they're doing now is in the, uh, they're in the process of updating the practicing with professionalism uh, component of the basic skills course requirement that all new lawyers in Florida are required to take. And uh, Ashleya and her fellow board member, Laura Bach, are heading up that effort for the YLD. So good morning, Ashleya, and thank you for being here. Good morning. Our next panelist is Senior United States District Judge Paul Huck from the Southern District of Florida. Uh, Judge Huck um, has written and taught extensively on many, many issues regarding practice management and professionalism, uh, including uh, teaching at the Advanced Trial Advocacy Program that's put on every year by the trial lawyer section of the Florida Bar and uh, the University of Florida College of Law. Judge Huck was appointed to the federal bench in 2000. Uh, after a long and very distinguished career as a trial lawyer in South Florida. And among his many distinctions, uh, he is a recipient of the William Hoovler Judicial Professionalism Award. So, Judge Huck, thank you for being here, and good morning to you, sir. Michael, thank you for inviting me. You are most welcome, Judge. Uh, Our next panelist is Chief Judge Nelly Kazam uh, of the 2nd District Court of Appeal uh, in the Tampa, Central Florida area. Uh, Before her appointment, To the appellate court in 2008, Judge Kazam served as a circuit judge in the Sixth Circuit, and before that, she had a very active commercial litigation practice in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, Judge Kazam has also taught and written extensively on practice issues, including professionalism. Uh, She's taught at the Florida College for Advanced Judicial Studies, and she, too, has taught at the Advanced Trial Program at UF Law School. And so, Judge Kazam, thank you for joining us, and good morning. Good morning, Mike, and I'm happy to be here. We're very happy to have you. And last but certainly not least, we have with us uh, Kara Rockenbach, who is a past chair of the Florida Bar Standing Committee on Professionalism. Uh, She is a founding member of the firm of Link and Rockenbach in West Palm Beach. She has a statewide appellate practice, and she's handled well in excess of 300 appeals in all of Florida's appellate courts, including the Supreme Court. And she's a past chair of the Palm Beach County Professionalism uh, Panel. 
and she's the recipient of the 2019 Sid Stubbs Palm Beach County Professionalism Award. So, Ms. Rockenbach, thank you for being here, and uh, we're, we're glad that you could join us. Thank you for inviting me, Mike. So, panelists, let me very briefly um, set the table for our discussion with a little bit of background. I think we would all agree that issues surrounding lawyer professionalism are not new in Florida, nor is the subject of how to uh, improve it. The Florida Bar has been engaged on those issues since at least the 1980s when the Florida Bar uh, first created a task force to come up with a set of standards which became known then as the ideals and goals of professionalism. And then most recently in 2013, the Florida Supreme Court uh, actually created a structure to affirmatively address unacceptable professional conduct and adopted an integrated set of standards of professional behavior. And those standards that were the integrated set uh, consist of the oath of admission to the Florida Bar, the Florida Bar creative professionalism, the Florida Bar ideals and goals of professionalism, the rules regulating the Florida Bar, and various decisions of the court addressing professional standards. And the court also at that time approved and adopted a code for resolving professionalism complaints through either the Florida Consumer Assistance Intake Program, which is also known as ACAP, or through a local professionalism panel, which exists, uh, at least in theory, in each of the 20 Florida judicial districts, uh, or judicial circuits, I should say. And in 2014, the Standing Committee on Professionalism was asked by the Florida Bar to develop a uniform set of guidelines which would take into account new technological concepts, including electronic communication. And so in October of 2014, the Standing Committee proposed those new guidelines, which were uh, approved by the Florida Bar Board of Governors in 2015 and adopted by the court in 2015. And those new standards are called the professionalism expectations. So here we are now in 2019, uh, almost 2020, and it's been then almost five years since the last major review of our professionalism standards. The Florida Bar now has more than 107,000 members, and we're the third largest organized bar in the country. And so the first question for our discussion is, uh, do we think our definition of professionalism, as it's set forth in those integrated standards that were uh, adopted in 2013 and 2014, are adequate today? So, Ms. Rockenbach, I'm going to start with you with that one. Do you think uh, the current definition and the integrated standards are adequate, or do we need to change those or update those in any way? Well, thank you, Mike. I had the privilege of serving on the Standing Committee on Professionalism Florida Bar Committee when we were tasked with looking at the ideals and goals and updating them. And when we did that in 2014, uh, the primary focus of updating them was to address the electronic communications, emails, and, and the like. So when the Florida Supreme Court approved them in 2015, after the Florida Bar Board of Governors approved them, the Supreme Court in 2015 said that these expectations now replace the ideals and goals. That was a, a facelift, if, uh, if you will, on our standards for professionalism. And I think the definition, the working definition that the Florida Bar Standing Committee on Professionalism developed uh, in that same time frame really does, does fit and work for today. And I think it's probably an evolving definition that in five years from now, we may have some 
new component to the definition and how we monitor ourselves. Um, but professionalism is something much higher than ethics. It's, it's going above and beyond. As the Supreme Court said, professionalism is a choice. And I think if you approach the profession and the practice of law as a privilege, then you recognize that you have a choice every single day to see your bar license as a privilege, not a right. And if you think about it as a privilege, then you do strive a little higher than just meeting the ethical rules, the basis, the, the you know baseline. And when we teach professionalism through our you know, local CLEs and throughout the state, it, we talk about the golden rule because that seems to be, it, it's something that everyone can relate to. Everyone at some point in their life has heard the concept of the golden rule, treating others the way you would want to be treated. And so I think those concepts, when you merge them together, the seven expectations that, that replace the ideals and goals, the working definition from the professionalism committee that talks about the essential ingredients of professionalism being character, competence, commitment, and civility. That word civility was really important to our working definition of professionalism because the Florida Supreme Court had added that to our oath of admission in 2011. So when we were updating uh, from the Florida Bar standpoint and the Standing Committee on Professionalism, when we were updating our definition of professionalism, that term civility was really key. And it's, it's civility it has nothing to do with ethics. It really doesn't. It is about how you treat others and how you want to be treated. And so it's a little bit higher standard than even, even our ethical requirements. So I think our professionalism definition and the, the expectations that we work under on a daily basis, I think they are meeting the needs of lawyers and guiding us to rise a little bit higher each day. Okay. Uh, thank you for that explanation. And uh, let, let me then turn to you, Judge Huck. And uh, I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you think, do you think the uh, definition and the standards are adequate? And I'm going to ask you in particular, are there other standards of professionalism or guidelines that are in use in the federal courts that we should consider adopting into our Florida standards? I think the definition that the uh, Florida Bar Professionalism Organization put together is uh, pretty much covers the highlights of it. Uh, it's interesting. There are three C, uh, four C's. Uh, nice alliterative uh, listing. I would add two other C's to that. When it says commitment, I want to make sure it includes commitment to the service of others. I think this is part of our job description as lawyers and judges. I think we have a unique ability and platform to uh, provide those services. And I think it's something that we're obligated to our society to perform. Uh, the second C I would add would be contentment, because I think if you follow the rules of uh, professionalism, at least the aspirational goals of professionalism, you're going to be a much more contented lawyer, a much more contented judge. So I think we add those two C's to it. Whenever I think of uh, professionalism and how you define it, what the requirements are. I always like to start with uh, trying to figure out just what our profession is all about and how professionalism impacts on our profession. And I like to begin with uh, asking just what is our profession all about? And in that regard, uh, I find a very interesting and accurate answer given by 
a gentleman, Lee Shulman. He's with the uh, Carnegie Foundation. Dr. Shulman provides a very simple but pithy and quotable description of what he refers to as the deal. That is, it's the unique social contract that our profession, the legal profession, has with society in general. And I want to quote Dr. Schumann. He says, autonomy and obligation, work and integrity. That's the deal, close quote. This is the deal. It's the social trusteeship, which we, the legal profession, have with society in general. And of course, like any other contract, uh, the deal has both rights and corresponding duties and obligations. Let me explain what I think, or I believe Dr. Schumann means by the deal. You know, we as lawyers are granted a great deal of autonomy. And of course, we have the sole right to practice law and also to regulate our profession and practice the law. The deal provides that in return, we as lawyers and judges are obligated to have a corresponding loyalty to our society and to protect the integrity of the legal process so that that process serves the needs and the expectations of society in general. We alone, as advocates, uh, we're in the arbitrators of disputes, authors of our laws and judicial pronouncements. We're assigned the, the right, the critical right and task of protecting our Constitution, the high principles of, of, uh, that are embodied in our Constitution. We're all parties to that social contract, that is the deal, and we all benefit from the deal. And likewise, we are obligated to fulfill our obligations under the deal. I think as an aside, if we fail to uphold you know, our part of the deal, we may and likely will lose some of our autonomy and some of our work. But I think that's an important topic, but maybe we should leave that for another podcast. So I guess uh, the question is, how do we ensure that we uphold our part of the deal? Well, to answer that question, I'd like to refer to an old ancient Chinese proverb, which, which goes to something like this. Laws control the lesser man. Moral conduct controls the greater one. Now, how does that apply to us lawyers and judges? Well, the controlling laws are the ethic rules that just been referred to. The code of professional conduct, statutes, regulations, and of course, the related punitive authorities that enforce those. That would be the Florida Bar, the Florida Supreme Court, and unfortunately, in some cases, the criminal courts. And of course, as indicated, these laws, they establish the minimum requirements of the lesser man, the lesser lawyer, and the lesser judge. In other words, these are the people who do the bare minimum. They don't engage in unethical conduct, and therefore they can keep their license. On the other hand, things like civility, the highest level of competence, conscientiousness, fair play, integrity, a vigorous allegiance to the clients while always acting as an officer of the court. And of course, as I said before, selfless service to others. These are some of those qualities that set us apart and they constitute our moral conduct, or at least our aspirational moral conduct. They're the higher planes to which all of us should and we must aspire if we're gonna carry out and fulfill our part of the deal. These aspirational moral controls some of which are now embedded in every lawyer's oath. They're not imposed by the Florida Bar, at least not usually, or by the Florida Supreme Court or the legislature or the criminal courts. But rather, uh, we should 
impose upon their, ourselves and should impose upon ourselves, both individually and as a group of lawyers, our profession. I think it's pretty obvious each of us should do whatever we can to strive to govern our professional lives and also I think our personal lives as well. We should govern them in accordance with these themes, these aspirational themes, and doing so, aspire to be the greater lawyer, the greater judge, and probably more importantly, the greater human being. I remember uh, in, in the words of my first boss and mentor, and now Circuit Judge Peter T. Fay, he used to bring us together, all the young lawyers in the firm, he would bring us together at his home on Wednesday evenings, sit in his Florida room, and he taught us as, lo- as young lawyers how to try lawsuits and how to be lawyers. He always said to us, take the high road, practice with professionalism. This is, of course, you know, one of the problems is we're, we're human beings. Not a lot of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. But we should always aim for the highest road that we can take. So that's my take on it. Well, thank you, Judge. And I do, you, you raise some excellent points that I want to circle back when we discuss the lack last question, which is enforcement or addressing uh, unprofessional conduct, because you touched on that. But uh, thank you for those, for those comments. Judge Kazam, I'd, I'd like to turn to you, and you have, a, at least on this panel, a, a, a unique perspective. You've seen uh, lawyer conduct uh, both as a, or all three, as a litigator, as a circuit judge, and now as an appellate judge. And so I'll ask the same question of you. Through the lens of your experience, um, do you think the definition that we have in the integrated standards is adequate? And if not, how would you change it? Thank you, Mike. And it's a great question. And I totally agree with the responses earlier. And I'll try to synthesize it very succinctly. In my mind, the practice of law is the highest calling that we have in our society. And as was mentioned before, the practice of law is a privilege that gives a lawyer a special position of trust. So how can we promote that trust? In a nutshell, you need to practice good behavior. You need to treat people with respect, even if you disagree with them. And so that, in a nutshell, I think encapsulates the whole whole issue. So whenever we see good behavior, we need to to encourage that. Whenever we see bad behavior, we need to stop that. And I mentioned that to you earlier in our previous conversations. I think one way that is critical is to have the judges and those of us in the judiciary that whenever we see unprofessional conduct to really try to step in and put an end to it. Because once the word goes out that professionalism is really one of the highest ideals, that should be followed. That if that does not get followed, we need to be able to step in and to say, that's not good behavior. We should not condone that in any way. So you're suggesting the judges need to be active participants then in... uh... I'll use the word policing, maybe that's too strong a word, but uh, monitoring lawyer professionalism and, uh, and addressing it when they see problems. I agree because, Mike, one of the key issues when I was on the circuit bench, a lot of these issues come up with discovery disputes where 
lawyers invariably get so involved with the issues that sometimes I think they need to step back and to see what kind of behavior that they're doing. So typically, if one side would behave unprofessionally in terms of doing things that is not appropriate, and then they would bring it to the court's attention, if the court does not do something about it, that lawyer who practices this, what I will consider bad behavior, will get away with it. And then we'll think, oh, I could do this again and again and again. And that's when we really need to nip it at the beginning and really come out and say, we in the legal profession, we will not tolerate this type of conduct. All right. Thank you, Judge, for that. Um, And in the remaining time here for our last, uh, or for our rather our first topic of discussion, I'd uh, now like to ask uh, Ashley Edwards about your perspective on this. Um, as a member of the Young Lawyers Board, you know you come with a unique perspective uh, also on this panel. So, what do you think of the definition of professionalism in the standards, and um, and what changes, if any, would you make? Mike, um, thanks again for having me. And um, I I have looked over to refresh, and I think it's always good for young lawyers and all lawyers to look over the um, practicing with professionalism rules and and guidelines that we uh, are governed by regularly to remind ourselves what we we strive for. But in looking at it, I, I think I, I will also try and be concise in my in my response because I think all of of the prior panelists have said it so so perfectly. But to me, as a young lawyer, um, professionalism, while it can change with technology and with with the changes that come with practice of law, um, I really think it comes down to just a core basic principle, which is really. Um, what the first panelist had alluded to, just the golden rule and treating every other attorney with respect. And, you know, in, in my practice, I try and ensure that I'm giving other attorneys the benefit of the doubt because we don't know, you know, what they've got going on in their lives. And invariably, we are all incredibly busy, which makes sometimes for an excuse for unprofessional behavior. But I think ultimately, we all do want to strive for respecting each other, whether it's inside or outside of the legal profession. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. And can you tell us a little bit about the update to the Practicing with Professionalism uh, materials that the young lawyers are in the middle of right now and um, how those are affected by the definitions? Definitely. So right now, and I I believe, as you may have mentioned earlier, I am co-chair with the Practicing Professionalism Committee with Laura Bach. Um, And this year, we have really been trying to... to actually convert all of the practicing with professionalism programs from a required in-person attendance to an online only attendance. And so just for a brief background, practicing with professionalism is, is phase one of two phases of the basic skills course requirement for newly admitted attorneys. So whether you're you're young as it relates to age or just young to the practice of law in Florida, you are required within your first year to take the practicing with professionalism courses um, or course. So it's made up of uh, a few segments actually. And this year we have added a few different segments that were not um, on the 
in-person attendance or on the online um, program before. And one of those was, I think, a, a wonderful addition. It's an implicit bias segment. And so we actually had Rachel Godsell and Will Snowden, some people who travel around the country, um, to talk about implicit bias in, um, you know, as it relates to, to the practice of law. And so just being aware, I think, some of the takeaways of, of their segment was just being aware of the implicit bias that we all internally have um, and recognizing that we have those implicit biases will help us in our goals to attain professionalism within the workplace or within the practice or even in networking um, situations. And so that is, that's one of the segments. We also are working with the um, Center for Professionalism, the Henry Latimer Center, Center for Professionalism. Um, they gave a wonderful talk on professionalism and ethics. Um, and then we did have some update by um, Ali Sackett with the Florida Bar on the disciplinary system. So to give newly admitted attorneys ideas um, of what not to do, because even when you, you read the rules of professional conduct, occasionally there are some gray areas. So she talked about the ethics hotline that newly admitted attorneys can call if there are questions about you know, what to do in a uh, ethical dilemma in, in the practice of law. So that was helpful. Um, we've also have a um, segment for Legal Fuel, which is a wonderful resource and website created by the Florida Bar, where people can go to um, watch continuing legal education credits um, and, and just have a very wide variety of resources. Um, at the tip of their fingers. And so I know that that's a, a long way of saying we are updating that, um, that practicing with professionalism program just to ensure it, it is remaining at, um, as timeless and as relevant as possible um, as the professionalism grows and changes with technology and social media. Well, thank you. And that's actually a very good segue into our second topic to discuss today, which is uh, how do we teach professionalism, and is it adequate? Um, so if we're if we're generally satisfied with the definition, and I think I heard a consensus among all of you panelists that we are, then are we teaching it in a way that is that optimizes professionalism and um, and encourages it? So for a little bit of background, I think we all know this, but I think maybe our listeners uh, don't. Right now, members of the Florida Bar are required to have at least one hour of an approved professionalism program for each three-year CLE reporting cycle. And then in addition to that, as you uh, alluded, uh, Ashleya, the uh, newly admitted lawyers have the basic skills course requirement, in, including the practicing with professionalism component. So, Judge Kazam, let me start with you. Do you think that is adequate? And if not, what more should we do? I would love to see. I know it started a while back about mentoring, and I know that a lot of jurisdictions have mentoring in place because it, it goes down to the following, that if you see, if you learn from the good example, you see one of the great lawyers that, that, uh, that you admire and you see how they are in terms of their practice, how they behave, you want to emulate that. You want to be able to do what that lawyer does. I would love, in addition to these important uh, courses, 
if we could really establish more of a mentoring uh, system to have young lawyers, especially in this day and age, when you mentioned, Mike, goodness, that we have over 107,000 members of the bar, and we know that a lot of them are not part of any firms where they would have the senior partner or some of the the, the other uh, older lawyers really sit down and, and, and mentoring them, as Judge Huck indicated that, that he was when he was a young lawyer. And I had that privilege as well when I was a young lawyer. But uh, the majority of the attorneys right now are in their own practice. A lot of them really work from their home because everything is done on the computer. So those are the folks that if we could somehow reach and somehow set some sort of system that would be able to match them with a lawyer and to establish this mentoring so for any issue that they may need, just to use somebody as a sounding board, that I think would go a long way, Mike. Now, that's a tough sell because everybody's busy. People don't want to be bothered. And a lot of them would say, well, I've been there, done that. I don't want to waste my time. But I think it's so critical for the future of our profession that I think we may need to take another look at it. You know, Judge, that's a that's such a, a great comment because I think I've seen statistics that now uh, a majority of our members are in solo practices. And so that creates the very need you just described. Kara, Rockenbach, yes. what do you think about how we're teaching it and should we do more? I couldn't agree more with Judge Kuzam about mentoring. I was thinking as she was speaking about the programs that we've tried to launch just locally here in West Palm Beach, um, and we have a new one underway. It, the, the concept is really needed in our profession. As our profession grows, and we have um, so many more lawyers here practicing in Florida. And as Judge Kuzan noted, a lot who are either solo or they don't have the support of a firm. Um, Judge Huck told us a great story about his mentor um, having Wednesday night evening dinners and teaching them how to practice law in his Florida room. What a great, what a great concept. And that a lot of us who love our profession are doing that in small ways uh, by those with whom we have interaction and connection with. But a program uh, is important. And we, we are trying to do something like that here in Palm Beach County, um, a little bit more formal. One of the other ways I think that we teach professionalism is, and this might be jumping into your next uh, your next topic, and I don't mean to, but the local professionalism panels that the Florida Supreme Court established back in 2013, and then revised with you know applying the seven expectations in 2015, what those local professional professionalism panels I call them the LPPs, they are a teaching tool. Uh, they are referrals for lawyers who have behaved badly. However, it's a group of peers who are bar leaders, and we have zero authority to sanction, to punish, to fine. There's, there's zero authority. But they turn out to be the most didactic uh, concept and event in some of the lawyers' uh, lives. When they come before this panel of peers, you have to discuss what they did improperly, uh, discuss what rule they violated, and there's a learning process. It is a teaching process. And 
interestingly enough, in some of our panels that we've held locally, there have been mentorships that have formed out of that referral. For instance, we had a referral of a very seasoned lawyer who was having trouble with technology and violating or having issues with some of the expectations. And he was just frustrated and needed someone to help him uh, walk him through technology. He was a solo practitioner. And one of our panel members was able to, even after the, the session, the local professionals and panel session, after we counseled him and he expressed his frustration, one of the panel members offered to have coffee with him going forward to kind of keep a, a check and, and a dialogue about what problems he was encountering. It was, it was ideal. And I think that some of the teaching that we could do, I agree with Judge Kuzama. I think mentoring is essential to our practice of law and keeping our professionalism at the highest level. Uh, but I also think the, that these local professionalism panels, when done properly and effectively, they are teaching tools for lawyers. Absolutely. So, Ashlea, let me um, get your perspective on this from the standpoint of a young lawyer who has more of your career ahead of you, certainly, than, than the rest of us do on this panel. What do you see as um, the best way to teach professionalism, not only at the beginning of a lawyer's career, but throughout a lawyer's career? Of course. And this is something that, you know, I obviously as an attorney, I strive for, but I I just strive for in my everyday life. But as a young attorney, as far as teaching uh, attorneys, I think we need to start from the law school level. Um, So often people, you know, students are developing a new way of thinking. um, And along with that, we just need to program in there um, also does professionalism, the importance of professionalism. And so um, the Florida Bar Young Lawyers Division is actually working uh, again with the Center of Professionalism for the Florida Bar. They are doing some phenomenal things over there, but we're working with them to try and host professionalism panels at law schools, uh, at least two a year. We've done one so far um, after we've we've started working together, and that was this past July, 20, July 23 actually of 2019 at Florida Coastal Law School. We had some wonderful panelists um, that spoke to a room full of students. Um, And so I think just starting from the law student age or level of practice will will definitely instill in those uh, professionalism behaviors that need to carry on through through the life of, of our practice. Um, As far as continuing that throughout the practice, I mean, I definitely think working with the Florida Bar Young Lawyers Division, we try and put out as many CLEs related to professionalism and mental health and wellness. Um, And Legal Fuel, like I mentioned earlier, is actually to touch a bit on mentorship if young lawyers don't have, if they are working or if they decide to, to hang a shingle on their own right out of law school, which many people, um, many people do. 
the Florida Bar Young Lawyers Division has tried to breach that gap for those people and create this Legal Fuel website, which is a practice resource center. So there's videos um, trying to teach young lawyers or, or lawyers of any age or year of practice um, talking about how to run a business, marketing, finance, technology, but also um, related to some mentoring of for, for those newly admitted attorneys who don't have a partner or a colleague to turn to uh, when, when they're in need of maybe some advice on how to act professionally in a situation. So I think, um, I think really getting those resources out there, either through our local bar affiliates um, or through the Florida Bar Young Lawyers Division, that is definitely one way to keep um, lawyers abiding by the professionalism canons throughout their career. And I think, I mean, I, I do think it, it is incumbent upon each attorney, um, young attorney or older, more experienced attorney to, to continue that, um, that goal in striving for professionalism throughout their career as well. So would you say that the current requirement of one hour for every three-year reporting cycle is adequate, or should we, should we require more throughout a lawyer's career? I definitely think the hour requirement is sufficient. Um, I think, though, that above and beyond that requirement, we should strive to really take more professionalism, whether or not they're CLEs, but just participate um, in professionalism panels or, you know, trying to engage prof- in professionalism type initiatives through our, throughout our local legal communities. So, I, I mean, frankly, I think we should be trying to do more than an hour for every, I think every three years was the requirement. I, I think personally we should be trying to do more than that. But, but uh, for those of those attorneys that are, are busier, um, an hour, an hour is good. At least they're getting one hour. <laughs> right, right. Thank you for that, Judge Huck. Let me ask you what your thoughts are on the on the current requirement of one hour for every three year reporting cycle and. And in particular, in regard to lawyers that are farther along in their career or maybe at the end of their career, uh, what are your thoughts, sir, about what sort of professionalism or what level of professionalism teaching we ought to have there? Well, I can't imagine one hour is sufficient. And unfortunately, um, and this is always the comment that's made in these kinds of uh, sessions, we're always preaching to the choir. The real challenge is how do we reach those people who don't take the initiative to listen to this podcast, to go to the CLE courses, to do the extra mile, to become proactive in seeking out a mentor. Um, I don't have an answer for that. i tell you one thing. I would like to circle back to something that Ms. Edwards was talking about. Uh, I think the comment was something to the effect that um, looking to some of the older lawyers, more experienced lawyers, and I'd like to get her observation as to whether we failed in that responsibility, and it, it is a responsibility, uh, and what she would like to see some of us with gray hair do more along the lines of, of bringing young lawyers along, particularly those who don't have the access to a, men, you know, a formal mentor or having the structure of a law firm to assist them in all the tough decisions they have to make as young lawyers. 
Well, I uh, appreciate that question, and I definitely think um, both newly um, newly admitted attorneys and more experienced attorneys can help each other out in those situations. You know, it doesn't just go one way. Um, and I think really, at least what I have tried to do is, you know, I'm still a young lawyer myself, but as I see young lawyers, um, other young lawyers that are coming in, passing the bar, or newly admitted attorneys, just reaching out to those attorneys and making sure that they are uh, comfortable within their practice, that they're either, you know, they're getting their questions answered. And, and I think that that's something that more experienced attorneys can definitely do is just, even if it's not a formal mentoring um, relationship, that they can reach out to newly admitted attorneys to say, hi, I'm here if you want to talk for five minutes about any any situations that you need to talk about, whether it's on professionalism or, you know, or otherwise related to their practice. Um, I think that's, that's definitely a way for, um, for us to recognize. Now, that, that's assuming that people are out in the community seeing these new attorneys, um, these newly admitted attorneys, and they're recognizing that they're out there. So I, I don't know how to bridge that gap, but definitely if, they're, if, a, if a newly admitted attorney comes across across the table or across um, in front of you, I would definitely just reach out and ask ask for some type of, um, see if they need any help. I think one of the problems is, and I speak to a lot of young lawyers and law students about this very subject, uh, mentoring, and I, the advice I give them is you have to be proactive. You can't sit there in your office and expect a senior lawyer or someone down the hall or someone else just to come knocking on your door and say, I'm here to be your mentor. I think that young lawyer has to know that he or she has to reach out and, and not be bashful about it. Because I know there was a comment earlier about lawyers being so busy these days. But my experience has been that for the most part, not every lawyer, but for the most part, lawyers with experience are anxious to help. As a matter of fact, you know, it's something they want to do. They get great satisfaction from it if they're asked to do it. So I think it's I think there's got to be a better communication between the potential mentors and potential mentees to get them together. I don't have an answer for that. I know we have some formal programs, and they work, but they don't work for everybody. So I, I think we should think about how we can bridge that lack of communication gap. It's interesting, Judge Hug, that you bring that up. There's an organization, uh, the Council of Chief Judges of the State Courts of Appeal. They have this system that any new chief judge that is coming into that group, they assign them, quote-unquote, a buddy judge, someone that will basically talk with them and show them and, 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 and help guide them through this, this organization. And when you mentioned that, the, the thought popped into my mind, wouldn't it be great to have almost like this buddy system that if if some of the our more senior lawyers that if somebody's get, getting the list these are all new members maybe to try to pair them up call them instead of using the word mentor and you know and some folks may say well I don't need any mentoring but almost like he's my you know a, 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 he's a buddy somebody that I that I could reach out to so it's not anything formal but rather informal. You know, I think we need to think now outside the box <laughs> to see what we could do. And everyone has, uh, you all, each of you who've spoken have some excellent, excellent ideas. And uh, you hit the nail on the head, Judge Huck, when you say that we are preaching to the choir. Usually it's the same people that are doing the same things over and over and over again that I think we just need to now 
go beyond that. Just food for thought. (laughs) So Judge Kazam, those are excellent points. And let me ask you then, are you suggesting that the buddy system, if we want to call it that for lawyers like you have with the judges, would be required? Um, You know, if we draw a parallel to the medical profession, there are are requirements for an internship or a residency that, that is, and that's not an exact parallel, but it's you know, but but it's training that young doctors get along the way. Are you suggesting something that it would be required like that? It's interesting, Mike. You hate to require anything because right now, from what I'm hearing from lawyers, they're overburdened. Okay, now we have to do an hour of technology. Now we have to do this. Now we have to have all these CLEs. Now we have to do. So you hate to do it as a burden. But maybe I I like to use rather than doing the forceful, but maybe you want to do to reward them that if we set up a buddy system, why not some of the senior lawyers that they could get credit for that ethics credit rather than having to undergo certain classes or certain courses, maybe reward that so you could give the incentive to folks, this is something that I want to participate in, and to make sure that that we don't miss any new lawyer, that perhaps do it rather than a requirement, more of an incentive. Again, because what I'm hearing, we are imposing too many rules, too many requirements. People are really tired of that from Judge Kuzan's ears or lips to the Florida Bar's ears because we in West Palm Beach are working on just that. We, I mentioned that we're starting a buddy program. It's called Bar Buddies instead oh, of the traditional buddies, Bar Buddies. And, so, and we were trying to incentivize younger lawyers and, and more experienced lawyers. And one of the, one of the uh, brainstormed ideas was they should get credit. They should get some type of CLE credit for, you know, however, and, and we're working with, we're trying to work on the mechanics of that and how it would actually work and how they get the CLE credits. But, um, but yeah, I think I, I like Judge Kuzam, I'm reluctant to make it mandatory, the mentoring or buddy system, but I like the positive incentive that if you sign up for this program and you meet with your mentor and you know assist and and you're a you're kind of a phone call away for someone who needs help uh to answer a question then you get the cle credit for the year so we're working on we're working on just that i'm excited because i think it is a a positive incentive i was just curious if the florida bar still has the uh, scope program if they have it judge it's not called scope anymore um we do have lawyers advising lawyers uh, we have that program, and I think that has more of a substantive bent on it than than that you could call a, a lawyer uh, if you have a substantive law question more than a professionalism bent. But I don't. We do not have the scope program any longer. I was going to comment about the mandatory aspect of mentoring. I I, I don't think that's going to work for a number of reasons, not the least of which is if someone doesn't have his or her heart into mentoring, it's not going to work. You need people who really want to do it, and I think for the most part. If asked, most lawyers, not all lawyers, but most lawyers would be more than happy to do some mentoring for a lot of reasons, not the least of which it makes you feel good about what you're doing and kind of strokes your ego to think that someone considers you a mentor, someone that they would look at as a role model. 
Well, panelists, I want to keep us on schedule. I know you're, you have busy schedules, and so let me turn us. Thank you for all of those excellent comments. Let me turn us to our third and last topic for discussion, which is how do we address unprofessional behavior when it occurs? And this is perhaps the most difficult question to deal with. And Kara, you um, mentioned the uh, LPP program. Let me ask you if you would elaborate a little bit on how you see that working and um, is that working statewide? I think it is. I was actually had an opportunity to teach at the Circuit Court Judges Conference two years in a row, first time presenting with uh, Justice LaBarga, and we taught uh, professionalism and touched briefly on the local professionalism panels. And as a result, there were so many questions by Circuit Court judges about the panels that we came back and did it the next year with a with a panel and taught more about uh, professionalism and the LPP. I think the LPP is essential to our practice uh, going forward into our profession. Here in Palm Beach County, we have anywhere from five to 15 or more panels a year. And I think it is a tool, not just, and we don't have any authority to discipline. So I hate to use the word, it's not a disciplinary tool. It's really a a mentoring or a didactic tool to help your, your colleague who took a misstep, who was inappropriate to a judge or, or to opposing counsel. A lot of the complaints and referrals involve emails, a lot of them. And so it's an opportunity for the responding attorney to sit in front of his or her peers and recognize the folly of his or her ways, uh, own it, take responsibility for it, and say, I want to do better. And, and it's really a counseling session. Um, they've been, I think, very, very successful here in Palm Beach County. There have only been a handful in the past, I don't know how many years, we were doing it before the Florida Supreme Court established the formal panel. But I would say in the last five years that I've been actively involved with the LPPs, there have only been a handful of attorneys who have balked and said they don't want to attend. And quite frankly, those were the ones who were slightly on the line where we felt, should you be referred to ACAP or should we do this here locally? If there's a chance of rehabilitation and to give a lawyer a second chance, then I'm all in favor of the LPP and the the teaching uh, mechanism that it affords the responding attorney. But in those instances where the responding attorney is recalcitrant, doesn't take responsibility for her, his or her actions, or or refuses to participate in that voluntary process, then the only only option you have is to um, either say, well, I hope you don't do it again, or refer them to ACAP and, um, and then the Florida Bar Grievance process. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I feel pretty strongly, as you can tell, about the LPPs. Yeah. Well, let me ask the judges, Judge Huck, and uh, well, Judge Huck, first you, and then I'll ask Judge Kazam the same question. Um, what are some of the professionalism problems that you see and do you think the local professionalism panel would be the right mechanism to use to address those? Well, I'm going to have to side with the lawyers in general on this one. I, I appreciate the fact that when they come before me, they're on their best behavior. And problems usually arise, you know, in depositions and things of that outside the 
confines of the courtroom. I don't see a lot of incivility. And when I do, I think it's my obligation, and I think it always begins at the top, whether it's the trial judge, the appellate judge, or the senior partners, to take control of the situation. And I've been out of practice for now 20 years, so I don't know how these panels work. I do know we have a, in the federal court here in the Southern District, we have a peer review committee. And when someone gets out of hand, uncivil, things of that nature, they can be reported to them and they'll be counseled. And if there's a further problem, then maybe more drastic steps to be taken. But I, I have to say, I, my experience has been pretty good. I, I think lawyers, for the most part, are very civil, very professional, at least when they appear in, in federal court. And when they don't, you know, it's very simple. And it's my responsibility to make sure that they do. And if I see a lawyer or lawyers that are just not getting along, can't even look at each other, they're so angry with each other, you know, I have certain mechanisms. I, you know, I'll tell them to step outside, cool off, come back in, shake hands, and start from scratch. And that usually takes care of it because I think for the most part, lawyers want to do the right thing, want to do the civil thing, want to do the professional thing. Uh, as human beings, we all slip from time to time. But I think for the most part, we want to do the right thing. So that's been my experience. So maybe it's different than others. I think it's uh, fewer problems than we sometimes lead ourselves to believe. Judge Kazam, what about your experience? I have to agree with Judge Huck, maybe because I sit on the appellate court. Thank goodness we have very few professionalism issues. And the ones that we see in open court, we, uh, for instance, not too long ago, somebody um, misrepresented something in the record. Well, <laughs> we have our iPad that has everything. The entire record is at our fingertips. So right there and then we could nip that in the bud. But what we have seen are those appeals from circuit court cases where you, you, you dealt with some unprofessional conduct. I'll, I'll give you an example of one case, Mike, and how we dealt with it. Uh, this was a case where both sides, it was hi- highly litigated, where both sides agreed that they would have a clean uh, copy of the medical records provided to the jury. And a lot of the redaction regarding things that were prejudicial needed to be removed. And they had a, a long, tortuous hearing where it was agreed as to all of these items being removed from the record. So that was accomplished. And so in the plaintiff's case, once he was able to rest, he went ahead and moved for that exhibit, which he thought was redacted, to the jury. Well, it turned out to be before the jury went back to deliberate, the lawyer realized, oh, good God, the wrong package was sent to the jury. The other side, it was very clear the other side knew exactly what was submitted, knew that it was the the, the unredacted set as opposed to the redacted set. And rather than agreeing, saying, you know, judge, yeah, that was an error, it was on the record that they totally objected to that unredacted uh, of the correct one to be given to the jury. And then uh, argument like, they're the one that moved it, it's too late now. And even though the jury has not seen it yet, inexplicably, the judge allowed it to go in. Well, came up on appeal. The opinion that we wrote was very pointed. We mentioned the lawyer by name and basically made it very clear 
that this is not the type of behavior that's appropriate, that this is unprofessional. The lawyer knew exactly we will not condone that type of behavior. So I think circling back to what I said earlier, Mike, I think it's incumbent upon us judges when we see inappropriate behavior, we have to be able to, first of all, call it (laughs) and then try to do something about it because I think ultimately we have that responsibility. So that's the rare case, thankfully, that happens. And just like Judge Huck, we, we barely see it on the appellate court, but occasionally we do see it uh, percolate up from the circuit court bench. Well, as, as Judge Huck uh, mentioned, I think uh, most lawyers are on their best behavior when they're in front of you or in front of Judge Huck or, or other judges. Um, so, Ashley, let me ask you from a young lawyer's perspective about um, the the unprofessional conduct that occurs in depositions or in discovery or somewhere outside of the presence of the court. From a young lawyer's perspective, what do you think would be the best way to address that? So I will have to agree um, on a few points with Judge Huck and Judge Kusam in the sense that um, I, I do believe that Lawyers of all um, of all background and all all experience levels um, do want to be the best. Um, they do want to be professional in their communications. And so, with that being said, um, you know tempers flare in, in depositions, and and people um, pe- people do write emails when they're upset instead of waiting and and reading that email first. And so, um, for for those types of interactions, I mean, I definitely think the local professionalism panels, um, if it if it is a recurring that is a recurring behavior from an attorney that that could be beneficial. Anything if it's brought to the judge's attention, if it's something that continually happens throughout the discovery process, if it's brought to the judge's attention, the judge can kind of make a comment to bring it to the attorney's attention or just or just even um, coming from opposing counsel or co-counsel just you know, trying to give that other attorney the benefit of the doubt if it does not happen um, on repeated occasions or just bringing it to that other attorney's attention, I think is is, is definitely helpful. But for, for the more egregious cases, it's, it's something that probably should be brought to either a judge's attention or a local professionalism panel to be to be uh, to be dealt with. OK, well, well, thank you. And on that last point, um, I have a question really for all of the panel, and that is you hear anecdotally that um, lawyers are reluctant to use the the local professionalism panels because they don't want to be perceived as a tattletale or a snitch. And I think there is that culture. Uh, the first question I think, and Ashley, I'll follow with you on this, do, do you think that's a uh, that's accurate? And if if it is, how do we change that culture so that people are more willing to come forward and use the LPPs? That is a that is a tough question, Mike. I mean, I definitely think that making sure people are aware that the LPPs or the local professionalism panels are a resource and that they're there and who, you know, who the chair of that uh, professionalism panel is and how to contact them. And, and that process, I think, is important for people to to know that that it exists and it is a resource for them. As far as the stigma that comes along with the local professionalism panels, 
Um, I have not seen it firsthand, but I, I am sure that it, it does exist. I have I've heard people um, talk about it um, at an arm's length type of type of discussion, not about anything in particular. But I do think that that stigma exists. But I think the more that we use, the more that we market those local professionalism panels, and, and the more that attorneys use them, that stigma could could then go away. And Kara, I'm going to ask you the same question. What what are your thoughts on that? If if there is a stigma uh, in using the local professionalism panels, um, how do we address that? Sure, I don't see a stigma um, here in in the 15th Judicial Circuit. I don't think there is a reluctance to refer. I think the referrals that we receive are from frustrated lawyers who want a smoother a smoother practice with their opponent, or uh, we've had referrals from judges who want the lawyers who are appearing before him or her to do better. And one of the one of the things that we've said in certain panels when it's a judicial referral, we'll say, it's your lucky day. This judge thinks you have more potential than you're showing. And instead of referring you to the Florida bar, having a permanent blight on your, on your record, the judge referred you here. And it's a second chance to hit a reset button. So we make it a positive experience and hopefully that removes the, you know, if there is a stigma, I haven't seen it. And I think that the lawyers who do the referral, who present the referrals to our committee are really just frustrated. And the judges, the judges are the same. The ones who've referred have been disappointed and frustrated. And so they hope that we're able to counsel and hit a reset button. So we make it a positive experience if the responding attorney is receptive to that experience and, and the teaching that, that takes place during that hour-long session, if they're approximately an hour, then I think it removes the stigma. And it, and it truly is, when you think about it, it is a, a second chance because some of, the, some of the referrals, the Florida Supreme Court has gotten extremely um, more harsh, if you will, on the blurring of the line between unethical and unprofessional behavior. And you can see that in some of the recent Florida Supreme Court decisions the last two years and how they handle um, uh, referrals. So when the, when the LPP is established and that responding attorney shows up, it is your lucky day. You get a chance, you get a second chance, you get a chance to hit a reset button, you get a chance to take responsibility for your mistake, to apologize and to move forward in a positive manner that is um, commensurate with the privilege to practice law. So I, I hope there's no. I hope other circuits aren't seeing a stigma. If they are, you know, maybe there's a way. That maybe this podcast could help in in presenting it, the LPP in a very positive light. It sounds like the LPP in Palm Beach County is working very well. Let's hope we can uh, achieve that same level in uh, in the other circuits. Uh, panelists, we have gone uh, right at an hour, which is what we had scheduled this podcast to be. Judges Huck or Kuzam, did you want to comment on on anything that uh, the other panelists have said before we um, wrap this up? Nothing from me. I thought this was an excellent discussion, and I'm, I'm really gratified to hear how well the LPP is working uh, in uh, in in that area. So it was everything that was said 
was excellent. I think it's been a very good experience this morning. It certainly certainly has educated me somewhat as to what's currently available through the Florida Bar and what's, uh, what's happening out there. Because, like I say, sometimes we judges are isolated up here and not really understanding what's going on in the real world of, of, among practitioners. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, panelists, for uh, your time. This is this has been a, a very informative discussion, I think, and um, and you've identified some excellent ideas and thoughts that I hope we as a bar pursue, uh, because I do think we can make a difference in raising the raising the bar of professionalism with the help of the center and with the help of the standing committee. So, panel, I think that will conclude it, uh, and I thank you for your time. And your, um, and your effort in, in making this a success. Well, unfortunately, it looks like we've reached the end of our program today. I want to again thank our special guest host, Mr. Michael Tanner, for joining us today. Uh, Michael, if our listeners have any questions or wish to follow up with you, how can they best reach you? Jonathan, they can reach me by email at mtanner at gunster.com. And thank you very much for allowing us to have this conversation. No, thank you again for coming. I think it was a great conversation that we had. Uh, again, so thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Jonathan Israel. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bar, Legal Fuel, the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. <laughs>